This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Austin left field deep, Bam going back, looking up, he will watch it fly! And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back, goal for Yelich! Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete so he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Mariano drills one to left, way back. Brantley will turn and watch it fly. And the A's are on the board. A first pitch home run by Laureano. It comes in the bottom of the first, and the Astros' lead is 2-1. to one. Frankie ball lifted to left. It's going a long way. Back is Brantley. Takes a look, and out it goes. To the left of the out-of-town scoreboard, a two-home run night for Ramon Laureano. And the A's now trail it 3-2. to two. Here's the pitch by Javier on the way. Swung on, drilled to right, way back. Tucker will turn and watch it fly. Tie ball game. Matt Olson homers to right. Three runs for the A's, three home runs tonight. And it's 3-3 in the bottom of the sixth. And the 3-2 pitch. Mariano not running, and Chapman, it's a drive to left center, up the alley, nobody's there, that's going to get through and go to the wall. Here's Laureano around second, he's going to third, they're going to wave him, he'll come to the plate and score without a throw. Matt Chapman drills a two-base hit, up the alley in left center, and the A's tied up at 5-5 in the bottom of the eighth. One out, first and third, bottom of the ninth. Outfield shallow. Here it is, and swung on a high fly ball, center field, not real deep, tagging Canna. He should be able to score. Straw goes back, makes the catch, the throw is not going to be in time, and the A's get a great win. Ramon Lariano delivers a sack fly about 20 feet to the right of straightaway center field. Canna tags from third and scores, and the A's have won it. And the final is 6-5. Here's Chris Townsend. Is that any good? Wow, what a night last night here at the old ballpark as the Athletics got a walk-off win against the Houston Astros. Robert Ford, broadcaster for the Strohs, will join us at 4:15. The great Ray Fossey will be here at 4:30 for a half hour. And then Jed Lowry will be here at 5 o'clock. And I can tell you. I'm going to ask Jed. I know it's early. I know we got to play one game at a time. But I'm a talk show host, so I put the cart before the horse. These feel like playoff games. And one of the reasons why is these two teams don't like each other. They're sizing each other up. They're, they're, you can't tell me if you're coming to the ballpark today and you're an Oakland Athletic or you're a Houston Astro and you're sitting back going, well, I mean, I guess we still got to be worried about the Mariners. Got to be worried about the Angels without Mike Trout for two months. Oh, look out for those Rangers at 19 and 25. This, once again, is a two-horse race between the Athletics and the Astros. And these games, that's why when two teams are good and they become rivalry games, 
I mean, this isn't the history of the Red Sox and the Yankees or the Giants and the Dodgers or the Cardinals and the Cubs. I get it. But this is really different for modern-day baseball. You have two teams that they don't like each other, and it's personal. And a lot has to do with the scandal. I mean, there's a lot that goes into this this rivalry that just – it popped up a few years ago. So it doesn't have the long, long time history. But I'll tell you this, you know, when you saw Ramon Laureano challenge their dugout and run into their dugout and ready to take on all, what did we have on the roster last year? 26 guys? It was gonna be Ramon. Well, there were guys on the field, but it was Ramon gonna be up against their clubhouse. I've never seen a Yankee run at the Red Sox dugout or a Red Sox run at the Yankee dugout. I've seen them come out and act like tough guys. And Pedro Martinez. I was like, are you pleased you're, you're going to forget Don Zimmer and Pedro Martinez? What are, where are we going here? And Don Zimmer. What about, what about A-Rod and Jason Veritek? Yeah. But, I mean, this, this, is, this is a spirited contest. And now that the Strohs are in this division and they're cheaters, I don't see this going away anytime soon because you're going to have a lot of the same players. Altuve's not going anywhere. Bregman's not going anywhere. We'll see what happens with Correa. And then, you know, you got Chapman and Olsen and all these guys. But it was a lot of fun to talk to Jed Lowry today. What a turnaround for him in his career at this age. You missed two years in baseball, and it's like he's never left. I want to give you a couple notes from last night that I think are, are really indicative of who this team is. They are now 8-1 in games decided in the last at-bat. And they are a major league best 11-4 in one-run games. Why do I think that's important? Because those are the type of games you play in the postseason. You know, we, 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 we talk about the A's and regular season success not translating into the postseason. But starting this year out, after a 60-game schedule last year and playing so many close games, you get used to winning those games. You love being in those games. You, you, you know, you, okay, would I like to beat somebody by five or six runs every single game and have, and, and have a cushion going into every inning? Yes, but you're not going to have those games in the postseason. You may have won a series, but when you're playing the best, when it's the best pitchers, and it's the best defenses, and it's the best offenses. Well, I don't even know if we can say anyone has the best offense anymore with the league. The league's hitting 236, Commander, the lowest batting average ever in baseball. I'll do you one better. The uh, the Mariners got no hit for the second time last night. You know what their team batting average is right now? One, I would say they're in the 190s. They're the uh, old one niner niner the uh, Mariners are hitting right now. 199. They, got, they didn't get no hit. By Shane Bieber or uh, Justin Verlander, they got no hit by Spencer Turnbull. Yeah, but yeah, uh, uh, watching uh, Quick Pitch, his stuff was nasty. Oh no, he he looked he was he was really good last night, and you know kudos to him and kudos to Detroit for having their eighth no hitter. 
And now Seattle's no hit, got no hit twice this year. The Indians have been no hit twice this year. Uh, we might see, uh, Hembo said we might see 15 this year. Uh, the record is eight. The modern, the, I think the modern day record is seven, but the record is eight if you go back all the way. Uh, I think we're eight. Gonna, I, I think we're going to go past eight. We're at five, and it's May nineteenth. We, we we may be by eight by the weekend. Uh, well, I, I technically we're at six if you count Madison Bumgarner seven hitting no hitter. All right, so the most no hitters through May eighteenth were tied with what year? Eighteen eight no. It's not the 1800s. 1914. 1917. I was, I, that was a really good guess. That was close. Wow. Six of Major League Baseball's 38 no-hitters since the start of 2012 have come at Safeco slash now T-Mobile Park. Yeah, the next closest is City Field. They have, I think they have three. Jeez. I mean, that, that's, I mean the Mariners almost got no-hit last week by... Um, Zach Plesak, he took a no-hitter into the eighth inning. Like, what is going on in Seattle? They can't hit. And they're supposed to be contending for the AL West this year? Hey, it's it, hey, when's the last time the A's got no-hit? Uh, it's a long time it was ago. The, it, I thought it was a combined no-hitter by Baltimore. Oh, I don't count that. Well, then, I think that's the last one, though. I don't count that. But there was. Um, I remember I was here. We were all hanging out here. This is back when we were at 95.7. Uh, we are all hanging out here. You were here, too. Uh, Colby Lewis had the perfect game going for yes. the Rangers. Yes. That was the last time I think the A's came close. I remember a close perfect game or no hitter happening to them. Uh, I, you were talking about stats. I wanted to add this in. We got asked that. You know, text Dave Feldman. Dave Feldman would know. Uh, okay. Oh, or we can just go ask him when we see him. Uh, is Bob Melvin the? Is he Major League Baseball's version of Andy Reid? The A's are now six and zero after an off day. Remember, Andy Reid is nineteen and three after a bye week. Oh, uh, he's unbeatable after a bye week. Uh, yeah. When you. I mean, Bob Melvin hasn't lost a game this year after an off day. So, so you're saying Melvin Magic is after a day off? There's your there's your lead off question for him uh, this weekend, Bob. I know you're superstitious. What are you doing, hey Bob? What are you doing on days off? You're <laughs> defeated. He's is, six and zero. Oh? Is he? Yeah, is he golfing? Is golf? Is it because golf is back? Is why Bob Melvin is golf is back? <laughs> We're having record rounds this year. What is today? Say Wednesday. Today is Wednesday. Yeah, the nineteenth. We got we got to contact old Bob Melvin slash Andy Reid and see what day he wants to be on A's Cast Live this week. Well, he's uh, what the, uh, the I think we play six. The A's play sixteen straight for their next off day. So, got to got to prepare for that next off day and keep that perfect streak going. Because what after this? This is a quick home. This is a quick three games at home. It, it's the it's the uh, Halos next, right? Yeah, three in Anaheim, and then then Seattle comes to town. So, uh, hey, maybe the A's can get a no hitter against Seattle. Okay, would you have ever thought, if I said buying or selling, that the first time? God, this music is so annoying. The loudest speakers in the game. Um, would you have? ever thought buying or selling that the first time the A's see the Angels there's no Mike Trout and no Albert Pujols oh, I would have sold I mean I figured you figured one of them oh well you figured pull or Trout would be there but I mean they, they I was listening to Carl Ravitz and Buster only talk about him this morning and and we I went over yesterday how good the the Angels are with Mike Trout and how bad they are without him uh, their season's already kind of going down the toilet a little bit. They're already five games under, I believe. They lost last night to the Indians. Although Otani hit another home run. 
Uh, this is only 14? Yeah, 14 home runs. Uh, the guy can't do everything. And by the way, he pimped it. Yeah, uh, he's pitching tonight, by the way. Let's see how many innings he goes. Uh, over four under four. Over under four. Four and, uh, four and a third. Six strikeouts. Eight uh, walks. Yeah, and he probably have another home run. 85 pitches. And uh, a home run and a double. And they lose 7-3. Hey, remember you asked me the question, buying or selling, he could be the MVP? Uh, he, I think he is right now. Well, I mean, they're not good. That, yeah, but that, that, never, that never stopped Mike Trout from winning the MVP. I, you know, that might be – I mean, they're seven games back. They're 18-23. and 23. I mean, Angels at some point could totally implode and be like 20-something games back. Are people going to vote? That's why we have the Hank Aaron Award. Yeah. It's given I, to the best offensive player. I mean, he, what he's doing is, is awesome, and it's, it's going to be really great to see him play this weekend. Yeah. We don't have to see him pitch, which is great. I don't, I, I, I don't know if they have the pitching matchups for that series out yet. Um, I'm sure we're going to see a, a bunch of Andrew Heaney and uh, who would be a whole else? Uh, Dylan, Dylan Bundy. Bundy. And maybe Quintana. I'm going to pull up right now and see. Uh, yeah, they have nothing nothing yet for this weekend. So that's probably who we'll see. But uh, we got Granky tonight, my, my guy, the future Hall of Famer, pitching tonight for the Astros and then – I think it was it Luis Garcia tomorrow. So we don't got a lot of uh, flamethrowers going for the Astros. So not a lot of velocity if you're looking for velocity the next two days for the Astros. Uh, five and dive, buying or selling for Grinky tonight. Uh, well, his last start against the A's was pretty – he pitched pretty well in his last start against the A's. Five and dive. Uh, selling, he's going to go six. He went six scoreless last time. <laughs> go six. <laughs> he's going to go six. Hey, I mean, he's he's a throw – hey, how sad is it to say Zach Grinky's a throwback? Because he goes six? Cause he go, yeah, because he goes six. That's a dominant starter right there. How old is he, 36? E- that sounds about right. Thirty. Yeah, I think he's 36. And what's going to be interesting to ask Robert, who is one of the play-by-play guys for uh, the Houston Astros, with our buddy Steve Sparks, the former Oakland Athletic knuckleballer, Sparksy, is what are they hearing about Verlander? Because Verlander said, ah, I'm starting to throw, feeling better. Like, is 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 there a possibility? Because, you know, we've now learned Tommy John's surgery. It, they, they want you around 14 months. I mean, at the earliest, it's 12. And if you did that timeline, that means he's coming back when? Like the last month? Yeah, they'll put him somewhere around there. Uh, I, I don't think he comes back this year. And he's a free agent after the season. That's why I asked you earlier – you know, buying or selling, we will never see Justin Verlander as a Houston Astro again because he's a free agent after the year. And he, wa- I, but we all know he wants to pursue 300 wins, and he's at like 227, I want to say, or yeah, something around he's there. He's got a few years to go, but I mean, if if the arm's back, I mean, there's always going to be a team that's going to want him in the rotation, and it's not like everybody who gets their 300th win is still an ace of the staff. Let's be honest. You know, whether you're talking about Randy Johnson or you're talking about, like, Tom Seaver with the White Sox. So, I could see Verlander, if he's if he's willing to bounce around and he stays healthy after this Tommy John, I mean, I, I could see him. Robert, welcome back to A's Cast Live. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? We were just talking about Verlander. And uh, what, what are you hearing? Is, is there – a potential of him being back on the mound this year with the Astros? I mean, I think it's a long shot. Uh, and, I mean, Verlander, he spoke to media, I guess it was about a week and a half ago or so. Um, and I guess his recovery's going fine. 
Uh, and he did say that, you know, if he did come back, it would only be as a reliever. There wouldn't be enough time to build up to start this year. And I mean, you're talking probably October at the, you know, at the soonest. So I, I think, I mean, I, you know, with everything he's done in his career, I wouldn't rule it out, but I, I mean, it's, you can't count on that at all if you're the Astros, I think. Well, I got to tell you, we've been talking about it on the show today, how I know it's early, and I asked Jed Lowry about this earlier today, and I know they want to play one game at a time, and it's early, but these games between these two, they feel like playoff games, and this rivalry has gotten so good. It's a young rivalry, but just talk about it, how it seems like both the A's and the Astros, when they see each other, they rise their games up. Without a doubt, and I think also, and you know, we talked about this on our radio broadcast last night. You think about the way the first four games between these two teams went in Oakland to open the season, and I mean, not only did the Astros sweep the A's, but I mean, I mean, they manhandled them, uh, and and it looked like the A's didn't even belong on the same field. Uh, so how can that not be in the back of the minds of these A's players? Now they they went to Minute Maid Park not too long after that, and, and the A's took two out of three, but. Uh, the way the Astros handled them in their home park, and you know that was the first series where the Astros really got to hear the boos and all of that. Uh, and I, I would think that the A's are playing with a, a chip on their shoulder uh, over this three-game series at home. Well, you know, the one hallmark of a Bob Melvin-led team has been how resilient this team has been. As you know, we always have change. There's always things going on here. There's there's a little bit of dysfunction, and we're still playing at the Coliseum, and we're looking for a new ballpark, and there's all these, you know, excuses. But, I mean, you've seen it for years. Bob Melvin teams are hard to beat. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for for Bob Melvin as a manager, uh, and I, you know, and he's great to deal with. Uh, looking forward to the day when I get to deal with managers again in person, but we'll see when that happens. But, um, but yeah, I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for what Bob has done, and also too, uh, you think about the 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 way the A's draft and develop. Uh, they don't get as much attention as a lot of other organizations do, uh, but they consistently churn out quality big league players. Uh, and that's even more important for Oakland, obviously, because of their budget constraints. Uh, but you think about some of the pitching, you think about some of the offensive players, they always churn out some guys. Uh, or they, you know, they're really good at, at acquiring guys from other organizations, like Ramon Lariano, who, you know, was with the Astros, uh, and, you know, beforehand. So uh, they just do a really good job of, of finding parts that, that fit together and that work together. And then you throw in Bob Melvin into the mix and he's just such a good communicator and such a good leader. Uh, that just, that just makes it that much better. But yeah, they're, they're always fun to watch. They're always a fun team to, to play the open eight. You know, just looking at Ramon's career numbers and his numbers this year against the Astros, whoever does your post game show, I'm wondering if that guy is getting calls from Astros fans saying, why did we just give this guy away to the A's? <laughs> well, I mean, at the time it made sense. So, um, and I'd have to look up the year. I don't remember the exact year, but it was around the time when you have to protect guys for the Rule 5 draft after the season ends. And the Astros had a few people that they needed to protect and not enough spots. Uh, and Ramon Laureano was one of those guys that they felt like they wouldn't have space to protect. Uh, so they traded him to the A's and got Brandon Bailey back, who did make his big league debut with the Astros last year, uh, and now was with the Reds and is out for the year. He had Tommy John surgery. Uh, but at the time, when you think about the way the Astros' outfield was constructed, you know, George Springer 
was here. Uh, Josh Reddick, uh, you know, was still in, in, you know, in the middle of that, 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 that four-year contract that he signed. Uh, they felt like they had uh, quite a bit of outfield depth, uh, and, there, there, you know, there wouldn't really be a spot for Laureano. Um, you know, talking with uh, Jeff Luno, I remember maybe a year or two after uh, that deal, you know, after that deal was made and after it became clear that Laureano was a bona fide big league player, you know, Jeff admitted that, you know, maybe they miscalculated a little bit. Maybe he was a little better than they thought. Not that they didn't think he was going to be a major leaguer and that, you know, he couldn't be pretty good. But I think, obviously, if they had known what he was to become, you know, maybe they hold on to them. Maybe they hold on to him. But, again, because of all the outfielders they had in the system at the time, they just felt it made sense to, to move on from Laureano. Well, we've created a new segment here on A's Cast where we, we get Ray Fossey and myself – We'll interview a baseball legend. So we've done Jim Palmer, Burt Blylevin. We've done these Hall of Famers. Tomorrow, we're going to do Dusty Baker. And, you know, knowing Dusty from his time in San Francisco, just talk about he really has been the perfect fit for this situation with the Astros. Yeah, there's no doubt, especially last year, you know, obviously being hired basically right before spring training. You know, all the sign-stealing scandal stuff was was fresh uh but he gave he gave instant credibility uh not just with the media but also in the clubhouse because of everything that he's done everywhere that he's been and all the success that he's had wherever he's gone uh but yeah he's done a a really good job uh you know with this group and you know just i think one of the biggest jobs of a manager um is to to try and limit some of the distractions and i think that's probably been the biggest strength for Dusty Baker is, is limiting a lot of the distractions uh, for the players to make it easier for them to, to just play baseball. And the fact that he, you know, he can absorb it. I mean, D- Dusty's had this amazing baseball career. I mean, everything he's done from managing, coaching, to being a player. And, and, and I have to think at some point, too, some of the media members aren't going to come after Dusty Baker like they would other people. He's got too much respect in our game. Well, exactly. I think that's a big part of it. And I know, you know, at the time when the Astros were kind of scrambling uh, to replace A.J. Hinch, you know, they considered, I mean, most of the people they considered were guys who had been around a little while, but they did consider uh, a couple of people who, who didn't have any managerial experience. And it just, you know, it just wouldn't have been a good fit for, for the Astros at that, at that particular time. Uh, but yeah, he, you know, definitely because of Dusty's credibility, yeah, he, you know, the media treats him a little differently than if it was somebody with less experience. Well, we always appreciate your time. We miss seeing you guys, and have a good call, and hopefully at some point later this year we'll get to see you out here in Oakland. Well, the Astros come back in September. That's the last trip to Oakland, so hopefully uh, hopefully we're out there for that. Well, you take care. Have a great broadcast. All right, take care. Robert Ford of the Houston Astros. You know, on the field – they're our rival. But we have this love affair with all these uh, Astros broadcasters. I mean, we're, we're friends with Robert Ford, Sparksy, Blummer. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, we're like friends with them. I mean, Blummer wants to hang out with you. I'll never forget that. <laughs> you got supposed to hang out at a Texans game. <laughs> I know. There's something. I, I think they had games still. We were. It was. Raiders-Texans early in the season, if I remember correctly. It's where I ended up in a Houston bar, and there was a bar in the back of the bar, and it was a Magnum P.I. bar. 
Everything was Magnum PI. Every drink was about Magnum PI. Every decoration was Magnum PI. On the on on all the TVs, they were running one of the one of the Magnum PI shows. I'm like, this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Were the bartenders dressed like Magnum PI? Oh, they were all in Hawaiian shirts. Oh yeah, mustaches too. Oh, I was taking pictures. I'm like, this place is killer. Whoever came up with this in Houston, Texas, as people always rip Texas. I've been to some. I, you know, everywhere you go. You're gonna find a spot. Ask ask the great Glenn Kuiper about his favorite place in Cleveland. It's called not Johnny's. Johnny's is the restaurant. It's Little Johnny's, which is Glenn Kuiper's favorite place. Where I didn't see Ray Fossey. Ray Fossey's a pro. He's not going to a place like Little Johnny's. Well, he can't. He's too much of a legend in Cleveland. He'd be mobbed. <laughs> Coming up next, it is the great Ray Fossey. It's a Wednesday. We'll talk to the face of the franchise right here on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live continues from Ricky Henderson Field. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, if it's Wednesday, it's a Ray Fossey day. Good afternoon, Ray. How are you? Except for the loud music here at the Coliseum for this wonderful A's cast, I'm doing great. How you doing? We uh, we have the loudest speakers in the league. There's yeah, no question. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it makes it difficult. And I remember the Angels came in and Tim Mead uh, was their uh, media relations guy. And, 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 and you know, I, I called up and I said to David Don, I said, you know, the Angels have to do some interviews too, you know, because once Melvin finished his show, it's when the music potted up and all that stuff, you know. So, you know, it works both ways because when the A's would travel and you try to do your work and, and they're screaming and yelling and everything. So, uh, you know, um, uh, it's it's just something that I think the great Vin Scully, you know, he did his um, stand up right in the middle of the game and he stands up. Uh, in the booth or stood up in the booth and he had the PA system behind him. It was the loudest I've ever heard. And he was talking. He goes, you know what, folks? This is so loud, I can't even hear myself think. And he stopped. <laughs> and, and because the higher you go, the more it comes in. And Dodger yeah. Stadium, those speakers just come right into the broadcast booth. But anyway, you're doing okay. Great game last night, wasn't it? Dodger baseball. Great game last night, uh, huh? Are you kidding me? That I'm telling you, Fox, it, it's, got the, it's got the feel of playoff games. I mean... The, the energy that these two teams have when they take on each other, it's a rivalry. I'm going to tell you something, ninth inning. And I was talking to the great Monty Moore today on my way in. How is Monty Moore? Monty's doing great. He's at a track meet for his grandson today, sitting in his car. He says, it's kind of hot, so I've got a perfect seat sitting in my car watching, getting ready to watch the track meet take off. But, uh, but you know, watching Miles Straw last night, I'll tell you the difference between he and Lariano. And I know that you talked about how can they let this guy go, you know, and there, somebody posted a picture today of Laureano in an Astros uniform, you know, so I don't know who it was. But, but in the ninth inning, when Laureano hit the ball to center field, Straw came in and then started backpedaling. I said, he's done. I said, there's no way. And I, I you know, jumped on Kaipa, unfortunately, you know, but, but I could just see it happening. I said, there's no way he can get behind it enough to throw. And sure enough, he caught it on his heels. And I said, forget it, it's done. Whereas Laureano can judge the flight of the ball, so he's charging the ball. I mean, as it turned out, that was a relatively close play, but you picture Laureano doing and making that same play where he gets behind the ball and lets it go with his accuracy and his arm strength. There's, I don't know that Canna could have scored, but that's the difference in the game last night. Now, another play, see if you saw this one, first and second, when Altuve made the play up the middle, diving far to his right, throws it on the ground, 
Chapman could have scored on that ball. He could have just kept running because it was first and second. He ran to third, and he turned around and looked to see if the ball had gone through. It didn't. But once the two infielders are on their stomach. Well, Correa made an incredible play. They both. Yeah, they they but, both made incredible but, plays. But the fact that Correa was more concerned about touching the bag, yeah. you know, that he was laid out. And all the while with Chappie's speed, even if he had started from dead stop at that point, you I don't know. he still beats it? I don't think Correa could have gotten up in, up in enough time. And plus, you know the one thing about the Rangers that I remember when Ron Washington managed there, and Elvis Andrus, I'm sure, learned a lot from him in that regard, or this regard, and that is, let's say, a runner's at second base, the ball hits the left side. That runner never stops at third. He just keeps going. So if the play hit, or the ground ball hit the left side, if it happens to be a base hit, infield hit, that run scores without even sliding. That's how much it is. So it was a play that's kind of designed that way. And, you know, in, in that case last night, in the defense of Mark Kotze and, and uh, Matt Chapman, hindsight, obviously, 2020, you could look at that and say, you know, he could have scored. But you want to make sure the ball goes through because if somebody dives, and that's the whole purpose of I know as a catcher with a runner at second base, you'd always say to the infielders, get dirty, get down. Knock the ball down, yeah. keep it from going in the outfield for a run to score. So I'm sure that's what they were looking because because Chappie turned around and looked to see if the ball had gone through and it had not. But again, that, that's that's aggressive base running. It might have been something that worked out, but uh, if I recall, he didn't score anyway after that. So uh, you know, you know, it's just just one of those. But it was a great game, great comeback, and. Uh, uh, it's just, just one of those, like you said, playoff atmosphere to be able to play that. And, and I think you said it best in post game. Three hours, who cares? Cause it's a know, good game. It, yeah. it was a very good game. So um, when you, you talked to Scott Emerson yesterday, right? Uh, I think was it yesterday you guys talked to him? Yeah. Um, when you talk to him again, and I, you know, we can't get down there to ask him, but find out if when the pitcher takes the – uh, laminate a sheet of paper out of his back pocket and the catcher does the same thing if they're looking with the runner at second base as far as the sequence of signs. You know, because it happens periodically. Let's say a runner's at second base and he's there, another batter, and all of a sudden they take it out of their back pocket. They look at it and they look at the catcher and evidently there's signs that they're going through with the runner at second base. Or the catcher has it on his no, forearm. No, 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 no. He, this is separate. Yeah, this the is little – well, it is that. What, what are you doing? I, well, I think it's with the runner at second base going through signs. So I, I guess based on some, – sometimes you could go by the count, the number of outs, as far as what the signs are. The great late Dean Chance, I caught him in Cleveland, and I go through his signs, and he called me out, and he says – Give me one sign. I don't care if he knows what I'm throwing or not. I'll t- <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't care if they know. Trevor Bauer. <laughs> you know, just tell the guy what's coming. I don't care. But don't don't give me all these signs of the thing that I'm supposed to figure out what the heck you're calling. Just give me one sign and let's go. But, but you know, sometimes you make it too complicated. I heard and talking to somebody yesterday that a couple years ago, there were as many as 18 to 19 clubs stealing signs. Electronically? Any way they could. 18? Well. Only one then, go. <laughs> then, then, then that goes back to my theory of Major League Baseball, in a way, made this a big cover-up because they didn't want their, they didn't want everybody to know how bad it really was. Yeah. So what they did is they sacrificed four guys. Yeah, that's right. And two of them are already back one year later. But right. they sacrificed four guys. No one else penalized and let's just bury this and move on. And when you grant players immunity, 
Yeah, what, what recourse? I mean, they don't have any anything to worry about. You know, hey, he did it. You know, we did it. Who cares? Hey, we won a world championship and all that. And they didn't have to give the rings back and all that stuff. So Kept the money. Yeah, everything, you know, and they raised ticket prices. And so, you know, a, a lot of things went on. But uh, but you know what? When they installed that camera in center field, and I heard you kind of explaining the wiring and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I don't know that it's that complicated, to be honest. You know, Cody might know being tech wizard that he is, but I don't know that you had because because every stadium was able to seems to install a, a camera in center field that they could isolate and and utilize it in some way. So there had to be some wire. I mean, you but see, that's going back to the TV truck. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good this point. This is this is this is somehow in, in, into the clubhouse area or the yeah. runway of the clubhouse. Yeah, that's a good point. So I don't know, but it was very sophisticated. Help them win the world championship. A lot of people knew what was going on. Oh, it had to. But I want to get back to last night's Sack okay. Fly. You guys on NBC Sports California, and Delaire has been doing a great job with this, and I'm looking out at the flags right now. <laughs> it's like a 30-mile-an-hour win out to right right now. If you were, like, playing golf, you'd be like, oh, boy. Um, you know, outfielders who are not used to playing here, Yeah. you know, you, you, you think you're underneath the ball, but the way the wind That's squirrels. It's a great point. Now, Ramona kind of understands the wind. Yeah. I bet some of these guys, that's why he he didn't get behind it because the ball just takes off on you. You know, that's a great point, and, and Delaire actually showed it, and you're right, you know, this this new thing that they've come up with to show the wind effect and how many feet it draws either out or draws it in, you know, knocks the ball down. And, and last night down the left field line is 14 feet. It was knocked down that much. But when Laureano hit his home run, that was a laser from the laser himself, you know. So anytime a ball is hit in that trajectory, it's not going to be knocked down by the wind because it's a line drive. It's those high arcing fly balls that get up and come down like a parachute. But you know, you, that, that, that's a great point because watching straw come in, it's like, I got it. And all of a sudden, whoo, here we go. It's going back and it got caught on his heels. But, uh, but, but maybe, but see, throwing up the grass at times would help if you don't know these things. But I would, I would think that maybe the players going into the game would have this knowledge of the way the wind is blowing based on the electronics and notice that, you know, the ball's blowing in from left field out to right field, make them hit the ball to left field. And from an outfielder standpoint, don't look at the flags because they do change. We always said throw up grass. It will tell you where you are the way the wind is blowing by throwing up grass. And uh, But you don't see that anymore. You see guys look at the flag or based on what they're – laminated sheet of paper said three steps to the right, two steps to the left or whatever, and that's how they position themselves. But, you know, once a ball is hit, center field has always been the toughest position because it doesn't, it doesn't uh, slice, it doesn't hook, it's straight. And that's where it's tough sometimes to judge how hard the ball is hit to a center fielder, whereas an outfielder. And that's why, to me, Canada does such a great job because he goes from left to right where if he's in left field and left-hander hits the ball, it's slicing towards the line. And the same in right field, the right-hander, slicing towards the line so you have to make those adjustments as an outfielder and he's one of the best i've seen of making the adjustments with all the different positions in the outfield now there's always going to be wind whipping off the bay oh yeah but how much did mount davis change this place you know it might have changed the townie but those view quarters maybe really got affected more than anything because i remember playing in anaheim before they built for football the rams you hit a ball you crush a ball to left center Forget it. It's caught. Got no chance because the wind coming in from center field. In Cleveland, the old mistake by the lake, a municipal stadium, which, oh. you know, 
that that ball that you know they had a the, cold breeze, right? But they'd have the scoreboard coming in center field, but the wind would come in off the lake to let's say as you're looking to center field off the left of the scoreboard, and it swirled. It would come in from left field and come behind home plate, shoom, go down the right field line. It was inevitable that that's the way the ball was carrying that way. But, uh, you know, when, when the ball and the wind is blowing in from center field, and, and sure, Mount Davis knocked it down, but I'd say the view quarters in left center and right center or left field and right field change the, the way the ball goes because you have kind of like a tornado effect. And that's kind of what this, this new technology where you see how the ball is or how the, the wind changes the flight of the baseball, whether wind blowing in and wind blowing out, and the number of feet. So, uh, yeah, Mount Davis has stopped it as far as all the way. View quarters, though, I think can make it very tough on the outfielders. Well, think if you've never played here before, and you're out there taking BP, and you're looking at the flags, by the time we hit 8, 9 o'clock, it could <laughs> yeah. be completely different. Exactly, yeah. And and that's why, that's why it does change. And I know Dallaire, when he'll show those um, – the wind currents early and then later you can see exactly what you're talking about the the amazing thing that i saw was when remember matt olson hit a i think it was a grand slam down the right field line and it looked like it had to hook but the way the wind was blowing it kept it fair hit the foul pole and he hits a grand slam and delaire was able to show under normal circumstances what that ball would have done it would have been a foul by by six to ten feet Ride the wind, baby. Ride the wind and the wave. Play a little, play a little draw and ride <laughs> yeah. the wind. But, you know, he goes, uh, Ollie hits the ball and he's kind of helping it. But that ball, I said, there's no way it's going to stay fair. It's got to be hooking. But the wind kept it from hooking. So there's some of the things that can happen on a ball hit down the line. And, uh, you know, it's, it's I, I think from the outfielder standpoint, and again, Canada does it so well on both left and right, you don't give up on a ball because a lot of times – I can sit up here and I can tell if a ball is going out with the crack of the bat, but that doesn't mean the left fielder or the right fielder can give up on the ball because it may get out there and that wind comes in and just knocks it straight down and it's going to be caught. And, you know, we have seen throughout the years where that has happened here, especially with the way the wind blows and with, uh, with Mount Davis being the way it is. And the other thing you guys are doing, which I think is really interesting, is where you're showing – in the opposing ballparks, yeah. what their outfield fence looks like compared to when you put up the the, the blue graphic of yeah. this is what the Coliseum is, and when you see that left field at the Coliseum would be on the other side of the green monster. I think it's great. Isn't it amazing? It's I, great. I, I, I think it's great as well, and I, and I think, you know, whenever he shows that, I, I'm amazed. We were in Arizona or the club was in Arizona, and he showed that, and you could see the differences of how – it's deeper here in certain areas, but in Arizona, it's it's deeper and, and because the ball center travels. field, yeah and, yeah, and the ball travels so well there. But I think it's it's something great. It, it, all this technology, the innovations, it's outstanding. If I'm a fan watching, I gotta say this is great. You know, I'm really enjoying this. So, uh, but yeah, that that's one of the special things that Delaire is able to do. And and again, the technology is allowing all this stuff to happen. I would love to see it at Coors Field. Because Coors Field, because they had to build it right. 347 down right. the lines. And to see what Coors Field, even though it plays as a bandbox, yeah. but I think the big thing about Coors Field is like you need like three center fielders out there because right. there's so much ground that you got to cover. It'd be great to see. But you know, Tony, also the thing about Coors Field, and we have not been there that much, but enough to know that there's so much space in the outfield 
there's a lot of hits that drop in front of the outfielders yeah. simply because you have to play deep. Because if you play shallow, forget it, you're done. Uh, you know, I guess the old theory: if the ball is over my head, over my head, it's a home run. You know, <laughs> you know. And, but uh, but but I could see where there are a lot of hits in between the infielders and the outfielders. And on top of it, let's say you're playing the infield in for play at the plate. Then they're just adding that much more space between the infielders and the outfielders. But uh, but I, I think, uh, again, it's, it's part of the game that, you know, it's still between the white lines. It's still somebody throwing a baseball, trying to hit it, somebody trying to catch it, and trying to have more runs than the other team when the game is over. But, but a lot of this stuff also that uh, people are, are able to observe during a game that, you know, I'm amazed myself in doing the games that we could see all this technology and how it's been used throughout the stadiums. And, and on, I think it's something that uh, Delaire does a fabulous job as a producer on NBC Sports California. And, you know, by doing that, I, I think it really helps the fan base to be able to see what's going on. The guy going tonight, Zach Greinke, if you had a Hall of Fame vote, are you voting for him? I'd say yes. I'd say yes because you just made you just made Cody's day. Yeah, I, I think so because you know I saw him in 2003 right here when he when he faced the Athletics and uh, he had a win five innings and then I think Jeremy Elfelt gave up a home run to Eric Chavez to tie it and I remember it because it was a celebration of her 73 World Championship team and I was outfield watching <laughs> you know I wasn't doing I wasn't doing the game but uh, but I remember seeing that that 12 to six curveball about 69 and his fastball about 98 I went whoa. You know, but he he has been very good at changing, adapting with his age to the point that let, let's say his fastball is not the same, but he's backed off his changeup and his curveball. But I've always said Buddy Bell, when he managed the Kansas City Royals and Zach Greinke had some issues, had some issues, maybe still has some. I don't know, some uh, uh, things that and I Buddy told me one time that Zach came in and he said, you know, I've got some problems. Buddy said, go home. Just go home, take care of your business, and then come back. And I keep telling Buddy, you should have gotten 10% of his contract, <laughs> you know, because some of the things that he, Buddy did at, at, with a young Zach Greinke helped him get the contract that he got from the Diamondbacks, and everybody's been paying, you know, trying to. But, but he, he's a smart pitcher. He, he's, he's so – I mean, how about last year with the pandemic and no fans in the stands? He pitches a game and goes sits in the stands yeah, to next, watch the rest of it. Next, you know? to, the, next to the cardboard cutouts. Yeah, right. And watches the rest of the game, and then then he, he yells at the catcher two to third, or you know, but but you know you know he does that, but you don't know if you're a runner in second or a hitter. What's going on with him doing that? But yeah, uh, you, you know it's. But here's something I want you to look at you and Cody, that the umpire crew that's here tonight in this series, they were with the Astros in Houston against the Angels and the Rangers, and all last week they were in Houston. And here they are with the athletics. And I'm saying, I know the pandemic is kind of limiting yeah. the travel, but that's an awful lot of games with two teams that are vying for number one in the division that have the same umpiring crew, especially because the Astros will have seen them probably, what, 10 games by the time this series is over, 10 consecutive games, which means that the rotation goes through twice you know, with a home plate umpire. Two plus, so you know we'll see. But uh, that that could be good or bad. Yeah, I yeah yeah right. Because there was if there have been friction in games before. Yeah. As an umpire, you might be tired of these guys. Well, that's true, and and I think uh, the A's saw the Brian Gorman crew for about ten days, and the same thing. That's we're, awful. Yeah, we're tired of this, you know. And, and then uh, evidently Joe West was in San Francisco, and then went back to Cincinnati 
when the Giants are playing Cincinnati. I'm going, well, if he's out on the West Coast, why not just stay here? You know, there's got to be some, like the Angels are playing at home and Seattle's playing at home. If you, if you want to limit the travel and, and the crews out on the West Coast, I mean, there's enough games here. They never have to leave the West Coast between Seattle down to San Diego in, in between and go to the chicken pie shop on Walnut Creek whenever they have the time off. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it's interesting, and I know that you had brought up a, a subject about a catcher and the influence a catcher can have on an umpire. I remember Jamie Moyer, and I was going to mention it tonight, that Jamie Moyer, I uh, remember in 1969, the Cubs said, we want you to be the minor league pitching coach. And he said, no, nah, I think I can still pitch. He went over 200 games, you know, by continue to pitch. But... Every time that Jamie would pitch a game, as he was departing, if he didn't have a complete game, you know, nobody did anyway. But as he is departing and the pitcher comes in, I would say, follow him into the dugout. And sure enough, as he's going, he'd tip his cap to the umpire. I said, nice job. Every time he pitched. And you can't tell me. I mean, and as, as a catcher, I would try to help the umpire by telling him, don't be surprised on a 3-2 curveball from this guy. Or, you know, 3-1 slider. You're or, setting them up. Well, I mean, I'm just, you know, they want help. Yeah. Seriously, they, they don't want to be fooled. And the worst thing for an umpire is, let's say, 0-2, and you throw a strike, and he's assuming it's a waste pitch, and it's a strike. He doesn't like, he doesn't want to be have people, what are you doing? And, you know, that's a strike. And But, you know, I think sometimes, and you remember when, when Barry Zito would pitch, and he'd throw that big 12-6 curveball? That's when a catcher should say, don't call that pitch too soon because it's got the sharp 12 to 6 break. And if you see it coming in up here, and then all of a sudden it goes straight down, it's a strike and you go, ball, no, you know, because you've called it too soon. So umpires want all the help they can get. And it, it's not trying to butter them up. It's just telling them, you know. And I've told you before, got catfish split in the outside part of the plate, and the umpire said, this is going to be a quick game. <laughs> Because Catfish is pitching, and he knows he's going to throw strikes, and he knows that I'm going to split the outside part of the plate. Some are strikes, some are not, but he's going to call them because I'm not moving. And I think that was one of the biggest things about a guy like Catfish or Vida or, or Kenny Holtzman, John Blue Moon Odom, you know. Just uh, the, the, the reputation is huge in baseball from a pitcher standpoint. If you have a good reputation of being a, a competitive pitcher, a, a pitcher who throws strikes, I think you're going to win out more times than not on a close pitch. Was there ever an umpire that Ray Fossey couldn't stand? And you don't even have to give a name. But when you knew, because there's a relationship between the catcher and the umpire that no one else has. So you talk to each other. Was yeah. there ever a time where you're like, I can't stand this guy? I got ejected from a game in Kansas City with a particular umpire. And Lupinello was hitting. And uh, my high school baseball coach had driven over with some friends from Marion, Illinois to Kansas City. And I think I hit a double my first at bat. So I'm behind the plate, third inning or something like that. Four consecutive pitches right down the middle of the plate. Ball one, ball two, ball three. And by the time he called ball four, I turned around. And when I turned around, he threw me out of the game. And I went, what? And then so I just let him have it. So the next day I said to him, why would you throw me out? He said, you jumped too high. I said I didn't even leave my feet. I just turned around to say, because I kept saying to him with my back turned, that's a strike. That's a strike. And I said it four times, and he threw me out. And here, the game ended up going 12 innings, and I'm sitting in the clubhouse for nine innings while my high school coach and uh, friends are sitting up in the stands waiting to go out after the game. 
But uh, but yeah, there there were some. I remember Bill Howler, and, and it really infuriated me. It was the second game of a doubleheader, and I'd caught both games. And and I'll never forget. I had I don't know two or three hits in the first game, and I had a couple hits in the second game. And he called me out on a pitch, a foot outside. And I go back behind the plate. I said, Bill, what are you doing? I said that pitcher's a ball. He says, Oh, you've got enough hits. I said, no, I said, no, I don't. I said, you never have enough hits. But it was just one of those things, you know, that, uh, but, you, you know, the, the, the funny one was with Bill Howler and Earl Weaver. I mean, you, you have the tall Bill Howler at about 6'6", six, six, and Earl Weaver at about 5'6", something like that. And he's looking at him, and he's looking down at him saying, go shut up, just get back in the dugout. Oh, you know, Earl, but, Earl, oh, Earl oh, is. No. And see, that's what's missing in today's game with the challenges, because you can't argue a challenge because yeah. it's automatic ejection. But don't you miss having those guys go out from the dugout and kick dirt and, and pick up the bags and, you know, do all those things. Saying and, things that you can't air on NBC well, yeah. Sports. Oh, yeah. yeah. But but I love the one when <laughs> Lou Pinello was managing the Cubs. He went out to third base and he started screaming and yelling at the umpire. And the umpire says, you can say all you want. I'm not going to throw you out of this game. You know? And so Lou just kept going and going. And he was doing everything in the world. Didn't get thrown out. Because the umpire said, I know what you're trying to do. It's not going to work because you're going to be in this game. See, with- I like that. <laughs> as long as I'm out here, you're going to be out here too. And he, <laughs> yeah. and he, he made him stay. But, but I, I – yeah, Hey, you're not going back and drinking beer while, That's right. I'm, That's while right. I'm out That's here. Right. <laughs> but, no, th- those are times that I miss because of, uh, you know, you know, in, in kicking dirt like Billy Martin did, you, you don't want to see some of the kids in the, the amateur leagues doing some of the things that some of the, the, the managers did. But, but, I mean, those arguments were the best. I mean, just – Tommy Lasorda. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it was – and you know what the LaRusso thing? What do you think about Yearman uh, – was it uh, Mercedes hitting the home run off Estadio on a 3-0 pitch? I wanted to bring this up. I covered a game one time at Candlestick Park where Bobby Cox got got rung before the first <laughs> <You're> pitch. <right. laughs> I'm like, how is this possible? And do you know what? He wore cleats, so I think he could run out of the dugout. Well, he, well, he first of all, he it was a cold night. Yeah. He did not You're want right. to be there, and he got rung taking the lineup card Oh, out. yeah, oh, yeah. Well, a lot of times that will happen from the previous game. You see those umpires, and manager will specifically take the, the the lineup card out and just start screaming at the umpire who who made the call the night before. You know, but uh, but uh, this is not going to be popular with you. I don't have a problem with swinging three zero. If you're going to put a pitcher out on the mound, because to me, Ray, and 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 I and I I understand what Tony Larusa is trying to say about sportsmanship, but you get paid by your numbers. You know this as well as anybody. You know what Tony was thinking about? I'll say this. Tony was thinking about retaliation because and, and that's why he went to the twins and pretty much said my guy was wrong because I think Tony and we saw him here if you hit Carney Lansford your third baseman's going to get drilled so I think Tony was thinking more yeah it, it's a different world and things like that happen but there's always that concern is your number one guy going to take the heat for what your guy did you know but do you like- really think these kids care no they don't <laughs> But that's Tony coming back at age 76, having managed a Hall of Fame I mean, career. Yeah, I mean, think about these kids. I mean, there's, we got so many of these kids under 30. You throw, you throw a, a, a position player out there, and he's just going to lob it over. I mean, I can't swing 3-0, but I can swing 3-1. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I know. And, and then somebody joked is that he, he swung at a 47-mile-hour uh, uh, and hit a home run. He, the next pitch was going to be 94 on the black. <laughs> no way Ostadio was going to do that. But, no, it, it was just one of those things. And, and that's probably why the commissioner 
tried to eliminate having position players pitch just because of that. Because, I mean, you, you want to save your bullpen. But on the other hand, you should be able to work your bullpen and let somebody pitch an inning apiece and, and not have a position player go out there. You know how we get rid of that? That rule we had when we were kids. The 10-run rule. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, you don't, if you don't want me to compete anymore as yeah. a professional athlete, I always said this in football, like, you're going to tell me not to score touchdowns? Yeah. I get paid on how many touchdowns right. I score. And, and, and if you, know, you can't stop me, that's your fault. And then Sparky Anderson said the same thing about the old unwritten rule that so many runs you're not holding a guy on and he's not supposed to steal. And Sparky would say, you stop scoring runs, I'll stop stealing bases. Simple as that. We're here to play a game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, and you How know, do you feel about it, though? Well, I, at one time, I would, as, a, as a catcher, I would have been upset. But I, I agree with you. Times have changed, and we have to adapt to the changes of, of what guys are doing. And I think when uh, 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 Anthony Rizzo was pitching to Freddie Freeman, it was kind of a joke. You know, he struck him out, and they're having a lot of fun. That's a position player pitching to one of the premier hitters in the National League, and he strikes him out on, on a cut fastball, and they're both yucking it up laughing. You know, it's kind of entertainment, and I think that's what the game is about. But in the case of Tony... We know Tony from having managed here that um, he didn't take things he, – he took everything very seriously. But he's not, he's not backing his players. Yeah. And that's yeah. – and in today's baseball, like I could not imagine Bob Melvin doing that to one of his players. And now it's multiple players. Yeah. Now it's Lance Lynn. Yeah. There's multiple guys. And it's like, Tony, you're, you're supposed to be the leader here. These are your guys. you got to yeah. back them. Yeah. You're calling your own guys out. Yeah. But, but I, I think, bottom line, the retaliation aspect. And I remember when Mark Teixeira was playing for the Rangers and there was a headhunter pitcher who kept throwing at guys. And he finally went up to him, grabbed him by the chest, and Teixeira was strong, put him up against the wall and he said, you're getting me killed because you're hitting their guys. And since you don't hit, they're coming after me. And I think that is the concern of somebody, in the case of Tony, who came back after all these years and remembering the way it was, say, in the 80s or 70s when he managed and how the retaliation factor would have been there. So... On one hand, I can understand what's happening today. On the other hand, if it's any other manager, they probably wouldn't have said anything. It just happened to be Tony. Did you really have any? Because you basically had no bullpen. Uh, did you really have? Did you guys have position players pitch? I don't ever remember it. Oh yes. Well, when I was with uh, Milwaukee, but not with the A's. No. How about so, Cleveland? No. But I remember when we um, Buck Mart We we used three position players in three innings in Milwaukee against Kansas City. And the last time Buck Martinez, a catcher, was pitching to me as a catcher. <laughs> you know? But we used, I think, Bando, Gantner, and, uh, and Buck Martinez in the last, in the last three innings. Bando. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you talk about a blowout. And, yeah. and, you know, they're not going to waste pitchers on that. But, uh, no, and, and I, I think, I mean, if you have only nine pitchers on your staff, you know, and the guys are pitching complete games or eight innings and, you know, one inning relief from Raleigh or something like that. So there was never an issue. It's, it's that you have so many relievers in the three batter minimum and they're facing these guys and they're gone. You get down extra innings, you're done because you don't have anybody left. Or if it's a blowout, you don't have anybody left. So it, it's a different game, but um, I think we all just have to adapt. And, and I think probably Tony is going to realize that quicker than anybody. I got to tell you one of my favorite Raleigh Fingers story. I think it was the book, The Last Dynasty. Yeah. Uh, in Kansas City, the Kansas City Athletics, Raleigh Fingers threw a complete game in spring training. <laughs> <laughs> the buzzard. That's never happening again. No, 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 no. I can't believe it happened then. <laughs> but Raleigh had one of those arms that he could pitch every day. 
He really could. And it was multiple innings. Forget about this one inning thing. And, and you know, with Raleigh pitching, you know, if you're, if you're facing the A's and Raleigh's in the bullpen, it, it's not get this guy out by the eighth inning because he's coming in. He said, no, get him out by the sixth because Raleigh's going to come in and pitch three. And, and then he come back and pitch again tomorrow. And, and that's what made him such a good reliever because, as he has said many times, he said, I was a basket case in between starts. And that's why Dick Williams said, get him down in the bullpen. Let's just use him, you know, because then he doesn't have a chance to think about what he's doing or not doing. And, uh, you know, there have been some great uh, starters who have become great closers, and Dennis Eckersley is probably the best example I can think of. Raleigh, too, uh, both of them starters, but act more than anybody because he won over 100 games. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. You, you me, and... Dusty Baker. Looking forward to it. Dusty's a good man. He's a good man. I'd just uh, like to see him win a world championship, but not right now. (laughs) (laughs) And not not with this team. (laughs) All right, Ray, go have a good call tonight. We'll be watching on NBC Sports California. Are we still going to talk a little bit later? Yeah. Okay. In in X amount of minutes. I'll talk to you then. then. All right. right. Thanks, Cody. The great Ray Fossey. Up next, Jed Lowry right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Sean Manaya. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Well, Jed Lowry, it's been great to have him back. It almost is like he has never left. And in his return, I mean, we did anybody really think that you'd be seeing what we're seeing? I mean, he didn't play for two years. He had seven at-bats in nine games. Got a big payday, but just couldn't stay healthy. Because the only place Jed Lowry stays healthy is where? Oakland. Oakland. Oh, he did play at Stanford, so he loves playing here. I guess technically it's home, although he lives he lives in Houston, right? In the offseason. Yes. But Jed Lowry at 37, hadn't played in two years, major knee surgery, when he signed, we had him right here on Ace Cast Live, and we said, we're going to be rooting for you, and, like, no one knew. Then all of a sudden, he started playing in spring training, game after game after game. And I remember when we had Bob Melvin on in spring training. We're like, what are you doing? He's like, he's healthy. He's ready to go. And he looks sharp. And Jed right now, he's got 23 RBIs. He once again looks like a like 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 the guy that can hit in the middle of the order. Uh, he's been killing it right-handed. And it, and it's great to have him back. You know why? Because let's say he is an A. He has always seemed like an A. And I I hated to lose him in 2000. What would that be? Uh end of the so 2019 19 yeah. and 20, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's this is his third tour with the A's. Only Ricky's had more tours with the A's, essentially. Yeah, Jet, I mean, Jet's been a terrific A. And it was great to have him on the program today. So we taped him earlier, and we just congratulated him on the start so far for himself and his team. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he's been one of our favorite A's for years, and it's great to have him back. Jed Lowry with us here on A's Cast Live. And, Jed, just talk about the wonderful start for you and your teammates so far in 2021. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's been fun, and, um, you know, we're just uh, looking to continue, uh, continue the way we've been playing and, and find ways to get better. 
You know, Jed, the last time that we talked, it was about you making this ball club after really two rough years in New York where you were injured. What has it just been like to get back to playing baseball, enjoying this game again, and basically playing every day? Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, listen, that's the uh, – that's what I worked uh, worked hard for uh, in the off season for that opportunity, and you know it's uh, it's been satisfying so far. And um, you know, like I said, I, I think uh, I'll, I'll look back on it maybe when I'm done playing, and and maybe even appreciate it even more, um, which which is uh, you know might be might be hard to hard to imagine. Um, but uh, you know, I'm trying to stay focused on uh, on this team and what what we can do. Well, I've mentioned a few times on the post-game show that it feels like you never left. It's just, it, it's it's funny. I know for you, it probably doesn't feel like that, but for us, it's like it's it's like you've always been here with that group. You're, you're so comfortable with these guys. Yeah, I mean, I, that's uh, uh, that's one thing I've always you know appreciated is the uh, uh, is the closeness and the. Uh, um, I don't know the camaraderie and, and culture that um, pretty much every A's team um, I've been a part of has had, and so you know we we have a lot of fun together, and you know we keep it uh, we keep it light. You know we obviously take what we do very seriously and have high expectations, um, but at the same time, you know like if if a game doesn't break our way. Um, you know, we, we find a way to, to, to move on and, and focus on the next day pretty quickly. Well, your wife came on our community spotlight uh, for the pregame show, and she talked about how the Bay Area has meant so much to you guys because you met at Stanford, because so much of your career has been played here. Just talk about what the Bay Area has meant to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, I mean – to to put uh, put my finger on one thing, I, I'm I'm not sure that I I can do that. But um, you know, I, like I said, I think uh, a lot of it starts with, uh, with with the culture. I think Bob does such a such a great job um, of of allowing guys to to be themselves and um, the you know the the freedom to to go about your business and um, you, you know be be a professional. So I, I think you know that kind of it starts there, and then you you kind of get get the group together that that they consistently do here, um, and it just uh, it makes for a I don't know a really easy place to um, perform your best. We had Chris Bassett on A's Cast Live, and he said this clubhouse is so good that when people leave, they'll tell people like Chris that. Man, it's miserable in other places. No one's having fun. It's just a grind. And and compared to Oakland, it's just not the same. Talk about coming back and what a great clubhouse it is. There, there's no doubt. I, I, you know, it's a long season. Um, we we spend a lot of time with each other. Um, you know, you 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 see uh, you see the guys, the same 26 guys in the clubhouse. Um, you know for all intents and purposes during the year, you see them more than your family. Um, you know, cause you're really only getting a couple hours during the day, um, you know, with the family and, and, you know, now that my, my kids are in school, um, you know, they're, they're finishing out school. So I'm, I'm spending, you know, all, almost all my time with the, uh, with the guys and, and until summer starts the, uh, you know, I, I don't see the, 
uh, my wife and kids very, uh, very frequently. So, um, you know, you, you spend so much time together and, uh, you you know, you, you have to, you have to find ways to, um, you know, just, just have fun together and interact and and have some sort of outlet other than baseball, uh, because there's, there's so many, uh, so many games, so many hours of the day is spent focusing on the game. The dynamic between the A's and the Astros has changed dramatically over time to where now this is truly one of the best rivalries in the game. Just talk about how different it's become over time since, like, you were playing with the Astros and where we are today. Well, yeah, you know, I I, I was with the Astros in 2012, and I – I came to the A's um, when you know the the Astros moved over to the AL West, and you know they were um, you know they were at the time um, you know the the bottom of the division, and and so uh, you know and they they've obviously uh, built a, a much more robust team since since then, and so uh, yeah, I, I think the that that rivalry has uh has really blossomed and um you know they have a they have a really good team and a, a really potent lineup and um and so it's uh, it's always fun to play against them because you know you know you're going to get a, a a hard-fought game uh, no matter what the outcome is well i gotta tell you i know it's early and you guys are gonna take it one day at a time i get it but for us up here in the press box and talking on the post-game show, it feels like two heavyweight fighters sizing each other up, and these have been like playoff games. Just talk about the intensity of these games so far. Yeah, and I mean, I think you take into consideration we've already played each other eight times, too, and it's only the middle of May. Um, you know, that, that, that certainly there's a lot of truth to that. Um, I, I think we're, you know, we're starting to – you know, see where, you know, see where the chips are starting to fall as far as, you know, how guys are going to perform and what the, the dynamics are um, for the, for the individual teams. But, but yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, we both um, recognize uh, the other club as, as, you know, being formidable. And so, you know, you, you want to get, uh, you want to get as many wins as you can against good teams. And, um, you know, we've had that opportunity a lot early in the season. You were recently part of an article on The Athletic with Eno Saris talking about bats and equipment. And I just think about your time from when you first got up to the big leagues to where you are now. Guys care so much more about the equipment. Talk about that article and, and how going about getting your bats has changed here towards this part of your career. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I had the opportunity to, um, you know, work work with the guys at Long Ball Labs and um, like I said in the, uh, like I said in the article, uh, you know, I was, I was a little skeptical at first, you know, you, you, you always hear about, um, you know, the next, the next thing in, you know, to kind of improve the, you know, a, you know, some sort of gadget that's going to improve your swing or, you know, the kind of the tin cup, uh, you know, idea of, you know, he's wearing some crazy gadget on his head and that's going to fix everything. Right. So, uh, I think just given given the amount of stuff that's out there, I was I was a little skeptical, but but you know the reliance on um, exit velocities and um, data now was is is so great that I, I figured as a free agent, you know I could um, at least gather some data and 
um, you know, present that to a club if, uh, excuse me, if, um, you know, they, they had asked or that they wanted to see any of that. Um, but as I kind of went through the process with them, um, the thing that, that really resonated with me was the, the, the feel that I had with the bat matched the data. And so that, that's what kind of got me, you know, thinking that this, this could be real. And so, um, what, what I really like about what they do is, you know, they're just, they're just helping identify what bat is going to give you the highest possible exit velocity and nothing nothing else like it's not telling you what kind of bat to swing how heavy it has to be um any of that it's just it's just through through testing you know what what bat is going to give you the highest potential exit velocity and let's end on this the early reports of the new baseball in 2021 is that it's lighter it doesn't go as far and pitchers can throw it harder. This is the highest velocity on average we have ever seen in Major League Baseball. Is this the toughest time you've ever seen to hit? And talk about the velocity from when you first came up to what you're seeing on a daily basis in the big leagues. <laughs> this is, uh, how long is this show? <laughs> uh, we got all day. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I I can definitively say, um, you know, this is my 14th year in the major leagues, and this is the this is the hardest it's ever been to hit. Um, between between you know the the skyrocketing velocities and spin rates, um, the strategic shifting. I, I think I read earlier that shifts are actually down, but they're more effective. Um, so I, I think that like accumulation of data. Um, not only at the major league level, but the minor league level. So guys, um, guys who are even getting called up, uh, they already have these very advanced scouting reports on these guys to know exactly where, um, you know, where they're going to hit the ball. And it, it's almost more, um, you know, uh, just, just physiology, right? Like you, you look at a swing and uh, like you look at a guy's swing and, and you know, you compare it to the pitch that's being thrown and like what that, like where it's even possible for that guy to hit a ball hard. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, you talk about the, the bats, uh, you know, the testing that we're doing that, that, that I did in the off season has helped, um, you know, uh, increase or potentially increase exit velocity, but I would say the majority of advancements and um, you know advantages sway to the side of run prevention. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it, it's it's an incredibly challenging time to hit. Um, you know, like like you said, spin rates up. I, I mean, the guys, you know, there there was a stretch there where I don't think we saw a fastball as a team below 95 miles an hour. Um, maybe a couple 94s thrown in there. Um, you know, we're facing guys that are our mop-up guys, you know, coming out throwing 95 with wipeout sliders. So, um, yeah, I, I think the, uh, the, the, the pitching and the defense right now just has a very distinct uh, advantage um, with all of the, the developments that have happened, uh, you know, uh, with the analytics and, um, you know, science behind uh, what we're seeing. 
Well, like how I led this off, you've always been one of our favorites here on A's Cast Live. We always appreciate the time. It's great to have you back. Congratulations on the start and being healthy, and we can't wait to talk to you later in the season. Be well and be safe. Sounds good. Thanks, Tony. Man, it sucks that we don't get to see these guys. But we understand it, but it sucks we don't get to see them. Well, we get to see them when we're on the Zoom calls. What do you mean? We see them every day. They're down on the field and we're up Yeah, here. we can see them. They can't see us. Well, I saw Emo yesterday. He waved. Oh, did he? Yeah. He, he, I told you. I was up here. He was down in the bullpen. And I waved to him. And he waved back. And he goes, oh, I could see you. That's the closest I got to interacting with any of the A's players or coaches in a year, well over here. Oh, no. Jesus Lizardo ran by me when I was meditating earlier on the third level. All right. You ready for a little buying or selling? Uh, I think I, I got a good one. And it has to do with uh, Ramon Laureano. Nothing it's on. time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. I apologize for stepping on that. Nothing on Nolan Arenado? Uh, nothing on Nolan Arenado. Greatest Cardinal of all time? Oh, he's playing the Pirates. They stink. That's like saying the Padres are back because they're playing the Rockies. Although Fernando Tatis Jr. is back and he had a home run. Back from the COVID uh, IL. So we got about two minutes, so we'll get to this. <clears throat> this is going to blow your mind. Maybe a little bit. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so Ramon, remember when Ramon, Ramon Laureano was stealing bases? Uh, he had eight through April 13th, but he hasn't stolen a bag since. Well, Ramon Laureano and Matt Olson both hit their 10th home run of the season last night, and the A's are one of four teams with two with two players with 10 or more home runs, Atlanta, Boston, Cleveland, and the A's are the four teams. Ramon Laureano leads Major League center fielders in home runs, 10, and RBI, 20, and he leads all Major League batters with seven home runs this month already. In 2019, Ramon, the former Houston Astro, hit 24 home runs and stole 13 bags in his second year in the majors. Ramon is looking to be the first ace player since who to join the 2020 club? 20 bags, 20 home runs. Well, they haven't scored. I mean, they haven't stole bases for for many, many years. So, um, I'm gonna go Coco. 2013 Coco Chris. <laughs> 22 homers, 21 stolen bases. So, buying or selling Ramon Laureano will be a 2020 guy this season. I'm buying it. Now he's gonna get to 20 home runs easy. He might get it by the end of this month. So it's just the stolen bases, which stay aggressive. I mean, he's stolen a base in over a month. It's all right. Stay aggressive. How many does he have? Eight. Yes, he's twelve. Yeah. Remember, remember, we were talking about Ronald Acuna Jr. being a forty-forty guy. We want, we want Ramon to be a twenty-twenty guy. Who was the last A before Coco to be in the twenty-twenty club? Now you're going way back. Oh, oh yeah, we are. <laughs> Don't tell me it's Ricky. No, it was before, it was a guy after Ricky. Is nineteen ninety-one, if I'm not mistaken, when I went and looked. Nineteen ninety-one. His initials are RS. Ruben Sierra. Correct. Ruben High Sierra. There you go. Who your buddy Tony LaRusa called the village idiot. Oh, boy. Well, t- Tony. How, how's your boy Tony doing these days? Tony also said that uh, Tony also said that uh, he was okay with his pitcher. He was okay with Yarmin Mercedes getting hit by the pitch last night. And when Lance Lid says he hates unwritten rules, Tony said, I have an office and Lance has a locker. Pretty much saying, I have an office. That's why he, and he has a locker. Uh, the stud pitcher you traded for in the offseason? Yeah, Tim Anderson first got it back. Your mean Mercedes, Tony LaRussa, 
not the first guy to back his players. Uh, it's not going well there in Chicago. They're providing a bullpen. Their own manager is giving them bulletin board material in May. This is what everybody warned about. Yeah. You're going to a team that's, you know, got young players, talented players, and, you know. I can't believe Tony Russo basically said, I'm cool with you hitting my guy. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't good. Uh, so Tyler Duffy hits Mercedes last night, and then he gets thrown out. Great call. Jason Donetti and Steve Stone had a great call on NBC Sports Chicago. Then Rocco Bodelli comes out. He gets thrown out. Um, and then and then after the game, Tony's like, you know, I, I, I have no problem with it. And it's like, what? What? It's your own player. Your own player got drilled, and you're cool with it because you're worried about the sportsmanship when a team's getting blown out and puts a position player in? Hey, but the White Sox won today, so uh, big win. Big win. The White Sox get back to their winning ways against the Twins, who are the last-place team in the AL Central. I, 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 I owe everyone an apology. I said the Twins were going to run away at the AL Central. I was wrong, I, I was wrong and we'll get to us owing an apology to Buster Posey at some point. I, I, I will not be a part <laughs> of that apology. Um, That's all we got for today. We're, we're out of time. Okay. Who's next? Uh, Blummer. Oh, our buddy Jeff Blummer, former Cal Bear great, World Series hero with the White Sox, and now TV broadcaster for the Houston Astros. We want to thank everybody who stopped by today from the Astros, Robert Ford, the great Ray Fossey, and Jed Lowry. I'll be back in about eh, 15. Yeah, give or take, 14 and a half. About 14 and a half. Thanks for listening, everybody. Here is Jeff Blum. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.